It is wonderful to see you all on a uh, less than bright and stellar day, uh, except it's always a warm, uh, wonderful place when we're together like this in worship, and so we're glad you're here. Uh, if you are a guest worshiping with us today, we, we welcome you here and want you to know how uh, pleased we are that you chose to be here. And we hope that you'll come back to worship with us on many, many future occasions. Um, several announcements to bring to your attention um, today. One is, it is time to order your Girl Scout cookies. <clears throat> there is an order form on the door at the Family Life Center, or you may see Wendy Smith, Sherry Williams, or any of the Girl Scouts that come to the troop that meets here. Uh, this is no time to worry about diet. This is cookie time. And also, uh, it is time to, to purchase tickets for the Cheerful Hearts Midwinter Dinner, sponsored by the Cross Training Sunday School class. That dinner is uh, on February the 14th, uh, Valentine's Day. It is a wonderful time of fellowship and food and fun. Tickets are $10 a piece and are available, I believe, in the back uh, later on as, um, as you're leaving today. And we invite you to make that purchase. Joy is coming. Dr. Joy Hudson is coming to make an announcement. And Keith Clark is also coming, I trust, this time to make an announcement. As you know, our preschool and elementary school children have formed a team known as Memorials Kids in Mission. They've been learning about different needs in our community and responding with a mission project. This month, they learned about children who are deaf and blind. The South Carolina School for the Deaf and Blind, located in Spartanburg, provides education and vocational training across the state. They have a residential program for children ages two and a half to 21 who stay during the week and go home on weekends. The budget cuts over the past year have been difficult and have included layoffs of personnel who work directly with the children. In the near future, they're looking at further budget cuts of 15 to 30%. Our mission kids are holding a fundraiser to benefit this important school. It's called Make a Swish. Next Sunday, they will take turns shooting the basketball, trying to make as many baskets as they can in 60 seconds. Today, they're collecting pledges of 50 cents, a dollar or more per basket from their church family. Pledge cards were distributed before service today. Please consider making a pledge for one of our children. Your pledge will be assigned randomly to one of our mission kids. Please include your mailing address so we can mail you the results. The mission kids will collect these pledge cards as you exit today. Thank you. I've seen some of those children shoot. I'm gonna be very careful which one I choose so I don't go bankrupt there. Keith Clark, excuse me, Keith. Good morning. The, the Staff Parish Relations Committee was initially very anxious over the prospect of finding a new Director of Children and Families Ministries. Then as we began to receive resumes from really some outstanding candidates, our anxiety quickly subsided. The hiring process is now complete and we are extremely pleased to announce that our new Director of Children and Families Ministries is Katie Jeter. Katie has been a member of Memorial since birth. Her involvement in our church throughout her life has always been from a point of leadership. 
Beginning February 1st, that leadership will now direct our children and family activities. Katie outlined for our committee a very aggressive plan in dealing with Sunday school communication techniques, internal and external children's outreach, and our family activities. SPRC believes that the church support will be elevated just due to the sheer enthusiasm. So please join SPRC in welcoming Katie to our tremendous staff here at Memorial. Thank you. Now, if some of you long-term members here are scratching your heads and saying, Katie Jeter, we're talking Katie Dobson Jeter? Okay, just want to clarify that for some of you folks so you will share in our excitement over this uh, uh, decision. So we are looking forward to some great, great days together. We, uh, this weekend, on Friday actually, very early in the morning, this church lost uh, one of its very wonderful members um, in John Kay, who passed away and his funeral is today at three o'clock. Um, we hope you will be able to be here in spite of the weather for, for Betty and the family to embrace them and there will be a gathering after the service in our uh, social hall to greet the family. Um, John died after several years in a nursing home where he basically hasn't known any of us. But uh, when I first came to this church, uh, I, I saw a man in the back who was speaking to everybody, who went out of his way to speak to everybody who he didn't know, who might be visiting. And as long as John Kay was here, there was no way that you could ever visit this church and not be spoken to by someone. He made sure that he greeted everyone. And if, you know, we, we sometimes say, well, I may just greet somebody who's been a member here longer than I have. That didn't bother John. He'd say, hey, I'm glad to meet you. And they'd say, well, Mr. K, we've been here members for 10 years. He says, that's fine. I still am glad to meet you. I'm still glad to greet you. Glad you're at church. He just put that smile on his face. So we, uh, we celebrate his homecoming. Uh, we will be remembering that today at 3. Hope that you'll be here. We may be in need of some ushers, and so some of you folks who are going to be here who have ushering experience, if you can help me with that, see me uh, before we leave today. Let us now begin together our time in worship.
Apostles' Creed on page 881 of your hymnal. Let us affirm our faith in God using these historic words. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. This time we invite the children to come forward to join Marnie Dumas for a few moments of sharing. y'all doing good good okay today we're going to talk about promises okay does anybody know what a promise is what is it go ahead something that you keep yeah something that you you say you tell somebody you promise i'm going to do this or right well we're going to talk i got a couple of examples of promises do you guys know what these are stamps, stamps right and when you put a where do you put a stamp on mail. On mail, right? And then so the post office promises they're going to mail it, right? Okay, so that's what a stamp is. Do you know what this is? A card. Yeah, what do you do with this card? Um, buy stuff. Yeah, you pay for stuff with this card. And then you look on the back. What's on the back of that? My name, right? So I promise that today I'm not going to give you cash for it. I'm just going to give you this. But I promise in the future I'm going to pay you for it. That's what a credit card does, Okay. Does anybody know what this is? A ring. A ring. What kind of ring, though? Wedding. Wedding ring, okay. So what does that mean, though? If I... I promise to love my husband right and be with him until death do us part. Okay, so that's what that means. Okay, so those are three different type of, types of promises. Now, if you mailed something, does it always get there? Yes. You think it does? Well, <laughs> it does usually, but sometimes it gets lost, right? I, I fly some with, I, I get on airplanes with my job some, and they promise that they're going to get my bag to my destination. Well, we went one time to the beach, and we came back, and my stuff didn't come back. So sometimes our promises aren't always kept. Have you ever made a promise that you haven't kept? Have you ever promised to keep your room clean? Maybe you, maybe you were smart enough and didn't make that promise, but I made that promise to my parents before and said, oh, I promise I'll keep my room clean if you let me go and spend the night with my friend. I promise I'll always keep my room clean. So sometimes promises aren't always kept. But let's talk about somebody who does keep their promises all the time. Who do you think that is? Jesus. Right, right. 
I have a coloring page for you, and it shows Jesus, okay? This is Jesus standing up right here, and he's holding something. Do you know what he's holding? A scroll. A scroll. What is a scroll? It's like a piece of paper, but you can roll it out. And you write stuff down on it. It's kind of like a book, okay? It's kind of like our books are today, but it's a scroll, and it rolls way out, and you can read it. Well, today in Luke, we're going to read from that, that book, and and today in Luke, Jesus is reading from a scroll from another book called Isaiah, okay? Isaiah wrote down, he was a prophet, and he wrote down a lot of different things, and Jesus read a portion of it today. And the part that he read from Luke said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And when he got done, when he was done reading this scroll, he sat down, and everybody was looking at him. And he began to speak to them, and he said, the scripture that you have just heard, or the, the scripture that I just read to you, has been fulfilled this very day. So the promise that God made way back here in the beginning of the Bible has now been fulfilled towards the end of the Bible. So God has made many promises to us, but this is just one of them that he fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Pretty good? So do we always keep our promises? Not always. We try to, right? We should try to. But who does? God always keeps his promises to us. Okay, will you bow with me and pray? Dear Lord, thank you so much for your faithfulness in keeping all of your promises to us. Help us to be faithful in keeping our promises to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. She want all your stamps. Is that what she? Your credit card. But they learn early. I you know. Oh me. When the people of uh, the Old Testament era were being restored to their land and rebuilding after the uh, the uh, exile, they gathered for the reading of the law and we read about that in Nehemiah chapter 8 reading verses 1 through 3 5 through 6 and 8 through 10 all the people assembled as one man in the square before the before the water gate they told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had commanded for Israel so on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. 
He read it aloud from daybreak until noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. And then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then down to verse 8. They read the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to the Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive reading is from uh, Psalm 19 on page 750 and 751. I invite you to stand as you're able as we share this passage of scripture responsibly. <clears throat> the heavens are telling the glory of God and the firmament proclaims God's handiwork. Day to day pours speech and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words, their voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them God has set a tent for the sun, which comes forth like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and runs its course with joy like a strong man. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of heaven, and there is nothing hid from its feet. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise and simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true, and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honey. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But when you can understand one's own errors, clear me from hidden faults. Also, keep your servant from the insolent. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight.
If you happen to be at our earlier service today, you heard an excellent sermon by St. Donald of Lewis, Don Lewis, on this passage, and I wish you had heard it if you didn't, uh, about how we're called to, to work together in the body of Christ. Listen now to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not be for that reason, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no such special treatment. But God has combined the members of the, of the body and has given great honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in strange and different kinds of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. Here ends the lesson.
Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, we are thankful this day for the emphasis on the written word read by the scribes and by Nehemiah and Ezra. We celebrated the goodness and more desirable than gold nature of your written word. We are thankful that even Jesus nurtured himself on the written word allowing it to speak to him, to guide him, to help him know how to live his life, even as we seek to know how to live ours. Perhaps that's why Jesus embodied the word to the point where he is called the word of God. May we saturate ourselves, Lord, in the message of the good news as contained in the wonderful written word of God that we too might embody the truths that are there in such a way that calls us to live out our lives in this community and in the world in ways that reflect the life of Jesus in us. May we be those, Lord, who follow in Jesus' path to go to those who are outcast and lost and downtrodden and those who have made mistakes in life, those who are down on their luck, those who just don't believe that there is a God who cares about them. We see that Jesus left the well people to go to the sick people and you still call on us to do that today. And so we gather ourselves together in some ways, we're well. In some ways, Lord, we're still sick and need your healing touch this day. But we pray you would cause us to go forth from here, following in the ways of Jesus, that we might reach to those who are hurting and lost and lonely this day. The task looks so very large, Lord. We could stay busy right here within the the confines of this community and, and in the shadow of this church. But there are those who are hungry and thirsting and lost just a few miles away from us and those in Haiti and those in other places of the world. We pray that you would lead us and lead Christians everywhere to embrace this world of yours with all of its troubles that we might come together, that we might work together to heal all the pains of your human family. Lord, it is a wonderful thing to belong to the one who is known as the Prince of Peace and to belong to the one who created all that is and called it good and to belong to the one who has assured us that in the end, you will be victorious over all things, even over the final enemy we face here on earth, the enemy of death. Even there you are the victor, giving us resurrection, eternal life. And we celebrate that hope this day. 
Lord, we do pray for our friends in their special times of need, those members of our church who are in need of your love and care this day, those who are suffering in illnesses that need to know of your grace and presence and healing touch, those who feel lonely, those who feel unloved or lost. We bring these to you. And we say to you, Lord, here I am, send me, that you might send us to these, our friends. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving.
Here now our gospel reading from Luke's gospel, chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. As he stood up to read, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Here ends the lesson. Have you ever been reading the Bible or perhaps hearing a song and suddenly you felt like what was what had been written there and what you were hearing must have been written just for you sometimes I hear a sermon that has that same effect on me the preacher must have known all about me because he seems to be preaching just to me Roberta Flack of my generation and the Fugees of the younger people's generation sang about this feeling in a song a few years ago. He was strumming my pain with his fingers, singing my life with his words, killing me softly with his song, killing me softly with his song, telling my whole life with his words, killing me softly with his song. Often when this happens, it is the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts that we're experiencing. Jesus said that the Spirit would take that which he heard from God and bring it to us. And this is one way that happens. This must have happened to Jesus also as he was growing up. Sometime back when he was still a young man, he had come across the words of Isaiah which foretold of the work of the Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. As he read that the first time, it must have spoken to his heart of what God was calling him to do with his life. Now, sometime later, we find him in the synagogue in his hometown, at his home church, probably in Nazareth, at the beginning of his ministry. A gathering in the synagogue was more like an informal Sabbath school class than it was a formal worship service. And it was common in that setting that one of the men would be asked to read some selection from the Bible and then to make comments on that passage. 
And since Jesus was by now gaining some notoriety, the person in charge of that day's study handed Jesus the scroll containing the writings of the prophet Isaiah. Jesus stood as was the custom as he read the passage that he felt had been written just for him. And after reading the passage, Jesus sat back down and began his commentary. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That was Jesus' way of saying, I'll do this. I will fulfill, I will fulfill these words with my life. And it was in fulfilling this scripture that Jesus was able to find fulfillment for his life. We all talk a lot about finding fulfillment for our lives. It's a major goal for human beings. Abraham Maslow theorized that it's only after we have our basic needs met for food and clothing, security and shelter, that we begin thinking about higher things, purposes and goals for our lives, love and fulfillment. Civilization came along and gave human beings an easier time in finding their basic needs. And then from that uh, comfort, uh, relatively speaking, religion and philosophy came into existence as people began to think about meaning and fulfillment. Finding fulfillment has to do with discovering something about ourselves, our talents and our abilities that are perhaps unique to us, and learning how we might employ these in something other than a selfish way. How might God be calling on us to use our talents? So I ask you today, where do you find your fulfillment? What has become your mandate for living? As Jesus tells us what his mandate was. A life cannot find fulfillment outside of the will of God, I don't believe. And so the place to begin when you are seeking meaning for your life is to ask God about his will for your life. Why, God, have you given me these abilities? Certainly it is God's will for you to know him as Father, Savior, and Holy Spirit. Surely God wants us all to give ourselves to Christ and his cause. Certainly God wants us to discover our gifts and talents and how they might be useful to him. He wants us to read the scripture so that the Holy Spirit can speak to our hearts like he spoke to Jesus' heart that day. I'm certain that God expects us to try to strengthen his church, making it a bit stronger than how we found it, and to work to make this world a little better than the world we inherited. Like Jesus said, I'll do that. I'll fulfill these things. And I hope that you'll be able to say that too. In the passage from Isaiah that Jesus read and that Luke quotes, we discover the things that gave Jesus fulfillment in life, the things that were God's will for his life also. First of all, Jesus felt fulfilled when he was going about the duty and task of caring for the unloved, the forgotten, the poor, the captives and prisoners, the blind, the oppressed, the lost. 
At age 30, Jesus was way ahead of most of us when we are aged 30 years. Most of us at age 30 are concerned with our career choices and the beginning of our families as well we should be. Then usually by age 50, we begin to discover that some of our goals in life have been pretty shallow. And that what really matters is whether or not, whether or not our lives have been helpful to some other human being. Have we assisted the less fortunate among us? One of my pastor friends was very concerned with getting to the top appointment in the conference. And then he almost died. After this, he came to a new realization. He said that in a hundred years from now, when we're all looking back on our lives from that eternal shore, nobody is really going to care who got which church appointment or who got to be bishop. He said that he discovered that what really mattered then is whose life on earth did we make a little bit better by what we did and who is in heaven now because of something we did. Did he do something to ease someone's suffering or help someone experience God's grace? That's what's going to be considered important then, he said. Since in heaven the last will be first and the first will be last, nothing else that we do here on earth is going to matter that much. I heard about a preacher who thought that his sermons were better than anybody else's in the community. Fortunately, he had a wife who kept his feet on solid ground. One day during Sunday lunch, he was going on and on about the wonderful sermon that he had preached that day. Wasn't that a masterful message, he said. A superlative sermon. What eloquent elocution. And then he added, I wonder how many truly great preachers there are. His wife looked up from her sewing and answered, one less than you think. <laughs> well, I have come to the conclusion that, that sermons are important, but nobody really remembers sermons. But they do remember whether you were there with them in a time of crisis or death. No one remembers what you people thought to say to them when you dropped by their house to comfort a mourning friend. But they will always remember that you came. Jesus knew this by age 30. He knew that earthly successes didn't endure, but that spiritual ones do. Spiritual successes last into eternity. So Jesus turned away from seeking earthly fame and fortune and set his sights on the needy and the castaways of society, especially those who felt they no longer had a place in the community of faith because of their mistakes. To them he gave true riches, and he gave them hope. He proclaimed God's mercy and love to those who were captives of sin and sickness and to those oppressed by life, to those lacking sight and insight, and to those who just plain felt lost. Jesus fulfilled that scripture and was, and was filled with meaning when he cared for the unloved. Jesus was fulfilled by discovering God's will for his life 
He was fulfilled in doing what God wanted him to do in caring for people. Thirdly, Jesus still is fulfilled today when his church, his body on earth, carries out his work in the world today. The work of the church and all the charitable organizations that we have inspired is what keeps reminding the world that people who are weak, sick, and defeated are important nevertheless. Who would care for the poor, the blind, those in prisons, the uneducated, and the lost, if not for us? Primitive societies simply got rid of the weak ones in their midst. They abandoned them, allowing them just to die. Left to their own devices today, societies today would do this if we were not their conscience. Someone has said that how we treat the least among us is one of the truly reliable assessments of the genuine humanity of a society. The church is here to be the world's conscience, to remind people that a poor person is as valuable in God's eyes as someone on the Fortune 500 list. It is a truly sad thing, but also a wonderful testimony that among the many dead in Haiti, were short-term missionaries from America, representatives from the United Methodist Committee on Relief from North Carolina, and even young people who were down there on short mission trips to help the people of Haiti. They died along with the Haitians. And you know what? We're going back. UMCOR is telling all of its many volunteers who are chomping at the bit to get down there now, be patient. You can't go yet. But maybe by March, maybe by spring, we'll start sending teams in to help rebuild. Isn't it wonderful to be a part of an organization that can't wait to get back to fix something that might get damaged again by another earthquake because the people there are important to God? Jesus and his church will always be, be near those who are hurting and suffering. And by the way, if you've been searching for faith and you think you'll never find it and you think you'll never find Jesus, maybe you need to go where he can be found the easiest because he hangs out with his children who are in pain. And sometimes when we go on mission trips, that's when we find Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is upon the church because he has anointed the church to preach good news to the poor. He has sent us to proclaim freedom to prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of God's love and favor. It's interesting to me that Luke concludes this story, and we actually will read it as a part of next week's uh, service. Luke concludes this story with people getting infuriated by Jesus' sermon in his home church. They got so angry about what he said that they drove him out of town. Some vigilantes there had in mind casting him over a cliff. But somehow they were stopped, perhaps simply by the power of Jesus' personal courage. And it is said that he walked right through the midst of his enemies and continued on his way. It was his work with the sinners that got Jesus in trouble with the folks who worshiped God at the temple. 
You see, Jesus ate with sinners and saints. He declared sinners to be forgiven by God. The religious leaders of his day came to a place where they hated Jesus and everything that he stood for, and that's why they plotted to have him crucified. Our work in the world isn't always well received either. And anyone who is serious about following Jesus had better learn this early. The very people and institutions that ought to be encouraging us might be the ones who fight us the hardest. I've seen young people ridiculed by their parents when they gave up a calling for a lucrative career to answer a calling by God to preach the gospel. And if we really are successful in reaching out to Greer's poor and forgotten folks, and if a great revival were to break out in Greer and our pews of all of our downtown churches became filled by folks who never have known to use right guard or secret deodorant, some of us here won't be very happy about that. John Wesley had a great passion for the poor. When they wouldn't come to his church, he went out to them. At coal mines and in open fields, Wesley proclaimed the love of God. And mid midweek services of the Methodist societies broke out all over England. Called on the carpet by his denomination's hierarchy for preaching beyond the boundary, boundaries of his assigned parish, Wesley replied, the world is my parish. But the people Wesley filled his churches up with were not always welcome. A few decades after that, a young Methodist pastor named William Booth went out to the lost of London to those who were considered the dregs of society. They didn't like typical church music, and so he came up with some new ways of musically reaching that crowd. He too was accused of wandering outside, outside of the confines of his parish and spending too much time with the poor and bringing those nasty folks back with him to church. His annual conference tried to reel him in at their conference of 1861 in Liverpool, but Booth's wife, Catherine, stood up and shouted, never, and walked out. William and Caroline Booth continued preaching to the outcast, founding the Salvation Army, which carries on their passion to this day. Finding fulfillment is all about finding God's will for your life and fulfilling that. It is about being part of the body of Christ in ministry to the world. But don't expect that you'll always receive pats on the back when you're out doing God's will. Sometimes when you're doing God's will, you will be given a cross. May we find fulfillment as we fulfill God's will for our lives. Amen. Thank you.